faith, confidence or trust in a person or thing. Reason, to think or argue in a logical manner, to form conclusions, judgments or inferences from facts or premises. Culture, the customary beliefs, social forms and material traits of a religious, racial or social group. Faith, reason, culture, with Dr. Melissa Travis and Daryl Youngblood. And welcome back to the Faith, Reason, Culture podcast with professor, author, and teacher Dr. Melissa Kane Travis and Daryl Youngblood, founder and president of Rational Defense of Faith Ministries. Daryl is not joining us once again, but I am Ryan Holland, and we are actually continuing on with a series about a global Christian television phenomenon, The Chosen. And uh, Dr. Travis and I spent uh, the previous episode really introducing the show, talking about a bunch of different uh, facets of the show. So if you missed it, you can find it either by subscribing to the podcast. Just look up Faith, Reason, Culture podcast in your favorite podcasting app. You can go to cgmradio.com slash FRC, and you can subscribe that way. You can listen to the to the show online that way as well. So make sure to check that out. But as uh, Dr. Travis, as we ended off the show, we were discussing, we, we had finally gotten into episode one. The show started off with a flashback of Mary as a child, which, uh, which was really surprising. We talked about, I felt like that was really surprising to see uh, the show start off that way because she's obviously not like the star of stars of the Gospels, but her story is obviously very powerful. And, and then we talked about the, the title sequence, the intro, the production quality, and all of that. So now we're kind of into, we're into episode one. We're, we're beginning uh, following Mary and uh, take us away. Well, I want to point out something that we will probably reiterate as we move through commentary on these various episodes. I, too, was very struck by the fact that the entire show launches with us meeting Mary Magdalene, or Mary of Magdala, as she's referred to in the episode. And I did not realize this when I watched episode one of season one the first time I could not have noticed this but now that I've watched all of the episodes that have been released thus far and I went back and I watched this episode again yesterday so that I could take notes for the podcast it struck me freshly how this is a perfect example of one of those creative license decisions made by the makers of the show that reinforces a, a greater truth, something that's not spelled out for us in the scripture. But when you reflect upon it, you think, oh, that was absolutely true of the ministry of Jesus. And in this instance, the thing that I noticed was that it's a great example of how Jesus elevated women gave them um, a place in society in so many respects that they did not enjoy previously. Um, he, he lifted them up and gave them uh, a sense of value in the community. And we see this over and over and over. 
But I love that the show starts out by emphasizing the importance of this woman who went on to be part of Jesus's earthly ministry for its entire duration. It really is. It really was an incredible decision. I think a very good decision. And I think it's reflected in, like you look in the genealogies of the Gospels, right? It mentions women all throughout the genealogies of the Gospels, even some women that were uh, could be associated with scandal and stuff, yeah. right? I mean, it's like, yeah, what, yeah. I, I could imagine being, you know, a, a first century Jewish guy going, Oh, why did they put her in there? You know, and, and I think it was a, it was a sign of what Jesus is doing is it, it's a process of doing that. But ultimately, what what is heaven but kind of the ultimate restoration of what God started back in the Garden of Eden? And in back in the Garden of Eden, Eve was most certainly not some second class citizen that was the ownership property of of her her male counterpart it was very very different than that and so but but it goes in so we have the flashback right we have the 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 flashback then after the title sequence which we learned what what the opening was called back in in our previous episode thanks to my um quick duck duck going then we we come to present day and mary is very much the mary that has we don't know what she's gone through but she's gone through a lot and we know right doesn't the scripture say that she was possessed with seven demons. Right. Seven demons. And so this is where we are now. And sometimes we see that she is possessed by those demons, right? And that, that gets real crazy later yeah, in the yeah, episode. Yeah. And, but then uh, other times she's kind of, when they're not particularly active, just, she's basically normal. Right. She gets like these brief episodes of reprieve and she just doesn't know when they're going to rear their ugly heads, so to speak. So... Uh, when we get to present day, we're in Magdala, 2 BC, and we see, um, I'm sorry. 26, right? We're in 26. So 26 2 AD. B- yeah. 2 BC in Magdala is before the opening sequence when we see Mary as a little girl with her dad, like I talked about in episode uh, before this one and how he's teaching her the prayer that ends, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have mm. called you by name. You are mine. So then 28 years later um, in Capernaum and she's all grown up and she wakes up and she's bleeding. She's like, she has blood on her clothes and she has blood on her lips. Um, and uh, she's not in a good place, not in a good place. Um, And then it flashes and all of a sudden we're seeing this, uh, this high Pharisee character and we find out that it is Nicodemus who's traveling with his wife through the countryside on his way to do some official Pharisee duty of some sort. Um, And then a little while later in the episode, we're introduced to Matthew um, and that's a, that's a really fun introduction. I'd like to spend a few moments on this character of Matthew. This character has received a lot of commentary in oh. in the press for the show. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. It, it's. I mean, he's essentially... Well, can we talk... Because before they introduce Matthew, they intro, actually introduce uh, Nicodemus. And then one of the main villains of the show which is the Roman praetor Quintus. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I don't know if, if you reflected much on Quintus himself, but but a little backstory. I So I actually personally, I do acting on the side. 
So it, it's something I've received some training in. It's something that I do. And I'm part of this, subscribe to this service called Faith-Based Casting, where actors can get casting calls. And back when Chosen was being formed, um, I actually auditioned for the role of Quintus. What? I, I did. So it was only a video audition. I just sent in a video audition and they didn't pay any attention to me, That w which is fine. And it's one of those times where you're almost glad you didn't get the role because I absolutely love Quintus. Oh, he's perfect. He even has the big throbbing vein in his face. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Yeah. I, I mean, he we would be looks wise, we would be very different. You know, I got a full head of hair. He's, he's completely bald. Uh, but but his his voice, his mannerisms, that how conniving he is, how conniving and calculating, he really was. And they they had another guy. Dallas said they had another guy. It wasn't me. They had another guy like lined up for the role. And then um, the actor that's I don't know his name submitted for Quintus. And once they saw that, they were like. Oh, wow. We got to use this That's guy. A cool story. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, got got a little little connection there. I've also actually visited the set of the chosen. I've done uh, some work there, but we can get into that. Uh, we can get into that later. But uh, but I love Quintus. I love his. Uh, I love his mannerisms. Just even his voice and the way that he he talked. You know, I don't, it's hard to it's hard to imitate him. But uh, I thought he was just a great addition to the oh, to I the agree. cast. Yeah, totally. Okay, so we're introduced to this character of Matthew, and let me just say he's one of those characters that surprises you in such wonderful ways in terms of how he is portrayed. Uh, you, you, from the very beginning, you notice that he has some distinct eccentricities. He seems a little bit OCD. He has trouble making eye contact with the people he's speaking with. He's constantly calculating and writing things down and super methodical and dressed in very fine clothing, very fancy leather sandals, uh, carries around a handkerchief because he's obviously hypersensitive to odors. So he covers his face a lot with his handkerchief. Uh, and you just get this big, clear picture of that Matthew is a bit of an odd guy. Um, and I've seen commentary in various places online, people saying, you know, I had to go back and read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Matthew, and now I see and I know, of course, this is how he would be. Yeah. <laughs> Now, not it, maybe not everyone comes to that conclusion, but it, I was struck by people making very similar right. comments that now that they've seen him portrayed this way visually, cinematically, they go back and they, they're like, oh, yeah, I totally see it now. Yeah, they, they could. A tax collector, of course, is going to have to be someone, if they want a job like that with the Romans, they're not only going to have to like betray their people and why they're one of the you know most hated uh, of the groups there's literally like sinners and tax collectors i mean they're like in a like a, a class of sinners by themselves they they're gonna have to be pretty meticulous if you're a tax collector you're gonna have to be very mathematical it really it really is an excellent portrayal and it almost is like could he be maybe considered at least the way he's portrayed kind of high functioning autistic 
I've seen that mentioned. Um, Aspergers or Aspergers, yeah. Suggested, um, maybe, maybe. I don't, I don't think that's far out in left field by any means. And it also made me wonder if one of the things being communicated is that his decision to become one of the uber hated tax collectors may have been rooted and maybe we'll get some backstory at some point i don't know but may have been rooted in his feeling of being an outcast growing up right because he's a little different right right? and maybe he got bullied or picked on and didn't have any friends and so making that move into a prestigious and lucrative career that he had the gifting for wasn't too hard of a decision for him because it gave him a sense of usefulness and belonging and that and that seems like that's really what he wants is that that usefulness that that belonging and i think that could be why when eventually we're jumping ahead here when jesus does call him and this is extremely biblically accurate. I mean, Matthew immediately leaves that tax collector's booth oh, yeah. and follows Jesus. So you, there's a reason why. Scripture doesn't tell us why, but if he's already, you know, his people feel like he has betrayed them, but he may have already felt betrayed by his people. He might have already felt, like you said, already felt like an outcast, felt like somebody who, who couldn't fit in anywhere. Right. And here you have and so he finds some belonging, he finds some usefulness in the in the in the Roman service, but then here you have the, this rabbi that, of course, he you know in in the show he already saw the miracle of the of the fish with uh, Peter and and Andrew and so forth, and then so he just he just quickly he just la- he's just like, what's this compared to that? And I get to be a part of a, a group, you know? Let's go. Right. Right, right, right. And we, we'll see later on all of the various tensions that arise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's just say the disciples are not real wild about this yeah, uh, this yeah, new yeah. Uh, tax collector that has joined the group at all. But yeah, so it was uh, it was really cool. And I, I, I do. I, I love the way that he is portrayed. Uh, the actor who actually plays John the Baptist was first cast as Matthew. Oh, I'm glad they changed their mind. I am too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, the guy who plays Matthew, I, I need, I need to get a cast list in front of us. I, I'd like to refer to their, refer to their names. I know Shahar Isaac is Peter. Jonathan Rumi is Jesus. I think Noah James is Andrew. Andrew, uh, of course, Eric Avari as Nicodemus, who is just fabulous. Uh, I, you know, I didn't know he was in the show until I watched episode one, and I was so pleasantly surprised because I've loved him as an actor for long long time yeah and you'll be watching an old movie like i watched some old movie last year and there was eric avari and it obviously you know a younger version of him so you'll see him pop up in these random movies and i actually saw an interview with him where he said you know the reason why i got out of hollywood was just because of all the violence and and all the terrible stuff that was in it so he was very very happy to be able to act and to be in a role like this to where he didn't wor- have to worry about any of the, the junk from Hollywood. Now, I have no idea where he stands in regards to his personal faith, but I know he was he was very happy to be par- part of the project. And I'd love to see, you know, what you really see with with Nicodemus pretty quickly. You, you, you get introduced to him in episode one as a pretty staunch, he was a fairly staunch Pharisee. He was a fairly strict and very um, orderly 
Pharisee, not making any waves, just going with what the Sanhedrin wants, Go, just going with how things are supposed to be. He's got all these students that are just enamored by him and all of this. But that pretty quickly begins to unravel because of what ends up happening with Mary in episode one. So I don't know if you want to yes. jump to talk about what, what goes on with Mary because it, I mean, Dallas starts this show off with a bang. I mean, he really does with what's going on with Mary in episode one. Yeah. Well, let me first just agree with you on, on the casting of Nicodemus. I think this is an actor who has exactly the type of gravitas a Pharisee, your quintessential Pharisee would have. And can we talk for a second about his wife? Oh, I love his wife. I mean, I love what she, I love her character. And so do I. I I love <laughs> this character of Nicodemus's wife. Is it Yasmin? Is that her name on the show? You only hear it a couple times, and I can't remember. Well, let me duck. Sure. Let me let me employ my mad duck duck going skills and find out while you're talking. Okay. Um. So this is a woman who obviously, I mean, obviously relishes her status as the wife of a high Pharisee. And she loves the material trappings. She loves the respect that is accorded to her. She loves the fancy parties and the fine food. And there's this one scene where she's sitting at her dressing table and she has this little bowl of what looks like pulverized gold and she's sprinkling it all in her. Oh, hair. is that what that is? Yeah, like oh, she, she wants okay. to. She wants to glitter. Right? Yeah, she does. <laughs> Boy, does she want to glitter? I mean, it. She, I thought uh, they did that character so well. Uh, Zahara, isn't that her name? Zahara in the in the show. I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm you may be right. You yep. Be that right. that's that's what it is. It's Janice Darderis is the actress's name, okay. and her character's name Zahara. Zahara. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. So, uh, love her. I think she's perfect. Yeah, no, she is. And she really provides that balance. And she brings such a great perspective to the story. And her perspective is they have a lot to lose. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he's called a teacher of teachers, Nicodemus. He's up there at the highest upper okay. echelons Don't of Jewish. Don't say too much. Because this is a fabulous moment that I don't want spoiled for a future podcast. But yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. 10-4. He has a lot to lose. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. And she, and the great thing about her character is that she helps bring that to life. And she is wanting to hold on. Hold on to this amazing life. that A very privileged, amazing life that very few in, in, a, in a world, especially back then, that is stricken mostly by poverty and suffering she's in a world of of great of great luxury prominence enjoyment and she doesn't want to give that up and that's why i appreciate her character so much and the actress's portrayal of it is just is phenomenal but even with nicodemus from very early on we see these clever cleverly done little glimpses of him maybe being a little bit unsettled already. Okay? Yes. You see these little glimpses of what we might describe as impatience with the trappings of his job, with the strictures of his position and, and things like well, that. Well, and I and I think we see that more as the, even episode one goes on. 
especially well. And and as we get into episode two, Shabbat, uh, we see we see that develop and grow more and more, especially after he has the experience that he has with Mary, and then finding out it actually wasn't well. Okay, so let's and let's talk about let's talk about that in sequence. Okay. Okay. So in in this episode, we have a scene where Nicodemus is holding a sort of council, and a Roman soldier breaks into the council, and he says, "Hey, there's a Hebrew woman out in the Red Quarter causing trouble." And you hear this phrase, red quarter, and your mind immediately goes to like red district. Red light district, right, yeah. The whole thing. So you know what kind of area this is and what kind of woman this probably is. Um, And so they're calling him to come and see if he can do something. Yeah, And, and he is actually, he ends up actually being ordered to go and do something about it. By the Romans, yep. that they're like, there's this woman essentially, and they go over there, and there's somebody up on the second floor of this building, and she is just screaming, and she's yelling, and and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. And the Romans, for some reason, think that hey, Nicodemus, this is a holy man, this is a Jewish area, maybe there's some type of spirituality because the Romans were very spiritual. Uh, they Obviously, they were polytheistic. They believed in many gods. Uh, the Jewish God, I guess, just being one of many right. gods. Right, and right. so maybe the, the Jewish God can help take care of this problem that the Romans have. He can kind of, you know, step down from his throne and kind of do something and deal with this annoyance. And so who better than a high? We got, hey, we got a high holy man. We got a teacher of teachers here in town. Let's order Nicodemus to do it. And there's this funny thing with Nic- Nicodemus and the Roman soldiers where he begins to say, just so you know, you know, I do not have to do this. I should not be ordered to do this. I'm doing it because I think it would be a good... And he goes on and on. And, and the Roman soldier's like, are you done? And he's like, yes. Right, right, right. Can we proceed now? <laughs> you know? and, and so he goes up and he confronts. He confronts. Mary. Yeah, okay, so he's walking into her quarters. And it it's dark and it, it's in all disarray. And he has these little bells that he keeps ringing, bells that are used in Jewish ritual. And I think he has incense too, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, he's got got the bells in one hand and the burning (laughs) incense in the other. And he starts chanting this liturgy, sort of. And as uh, as he says the words, you can hear these, uh, deep animalistic sounds coming from behind a piece of overturned furniture. And I mean, it's uh, just guttural noises coming from this woman that you can't yet see. And he goes on and on and he's ringing his bells and he's chanting and um, she just gets louder. And then finally she gets up off the floor and you, she starts to, rise up from behind this piece of furniture and they do this brilliant reverberation effect with her voice they do and it's chilling and it's not over the top like a lot of demon possession scenes in film are like totally hollywood over the top this is so well done and believable well i think it's actually how it would be in and is in real life when someone is possessed by seven demons. I mean, yeah. 
they are yeah. the the sounds that they make and there's a lot of testimony to this who people who have experienced this kind of stuff that yes they do talk in very strange and very what could be considered scary voices yeah, yeah so at it's times. like this that uh, they use this reverberation effect that communicates a multitude of demons rather right. than just one demon, right? It's not just one strange voice. You sort of get this um, right. choir effect in her voice, if you will. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. And so Nicodemus attempts to confront this thing he's chanting. You know, he saw Michael and Gabriel and Uriel and Raphael and, you know, all of these uh, archangels from, from Jewish lore that uh, he's calling upon their powers and stuff. And... And then she said, well, the demons say, you remember what the demons say? Yeah. They say, teacher, you have no power here. Yeah. Well, it grumbles a while. It grumbles a little bit. And he might even be thinking he's making some progress. And then, and then she just, and you know, Mary's face lifts up and she smiles with this like diabolical look and, you know, uh, teacher you know how you have no power here you know that was, that was a terrible impersonation of that but it, it, it's wild yeah, it is yeah. it is it is and nicodemus is you can tell he is just struck by that i mean he is just it's like a it's like a a, a gut punch yeah it's a blow to the gut yeah and and before we move on from there i want to say a little bit about the artistic and brilliant use of very short flashback scenes surrounding uh, Mary's adult life. Oh, right, right. So it's not just, um, here's Mary as a child, bam, here's Mary living in the so-called red quarter demon possessed. You get much, much more than that. So you get little snippet flashbacks, and one of them is a very clear indication that she has been sexually assaulted by Roman soldiers, that she is a victim of rape, and that she's carrying damage from that. And so she turns into not just this flat-ish, demon-possessed character, this is a tragic figure. You have deep sympathy for her, and now she's being tormented in one of the worst ways possible. And this holy man is trying to help her. Um, but in another snippet, it shows her uh, with this scrap of paper that she's held on to since her childhood mm, that has right. um, the prayer that she's supposed to recite. So this is what I was alluding to earlier uh, when we talked about the episode opener and her father teaching her to recite this prayer because you get this little flashback where she's trying to recite that prayer and she's weeping and she's frustrated. She's trying to get rid of these demons on her own, right? And she cannot. And she can't. Yeah, and so it, it most likely... Mary Magdalene did not choose the lifestyle that that she was in, right. especially right. back then and in that culture. And and if and if she was, you know, if to a Roman soldier she was particularly attractive or or something like that, and the Jews are simply just their servants, it it really isn't um, outside the pale to think that that would have happened to her. And then for her to deal with the trauma of that, and so and she may she, perhaps she went in because she probably felt. And, and from what I've read and understand of victims of sexual assault, they feel 
worthless. They right. feel terrible. Right. They so you know the only thing I am good for. They think the only thing I am good for is that I'm already an outcast. I'm I had my virginity taken from me, and so I'm I'm just gonna maybe maybe it was voluntary that she went into that kind of lifestyle, but it was possibly because of what what had happened to her. And but then you see, I, I love that you see she wants out of it. She wants to break free, and the only thing she knows to do is to re repeat this prayer maybe the demons inside her won't like it and and they will will leave free, her alone, it will yeah. leave her alone but for but she's been trying that for years and it hasn't been working right 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 and i don't think we've mentioned this already but there's a flashback scene that reveals to the viewer that her father died while she was still very young right so very early in life she lost her main protector she did. Yeah, she and so you can imagine, well, she's probably been fending for herself for a long time, and that's why she couldn't defend herself from from that and why and what are what is really a, a woman in first century Judea who doesn't have a male caretaker, like what kind of options right. does she really have? And it, and it's really it's really really sad. And so you're really set up for this this incredible backstory with Mary Magdalene to then eventually come face to face with uh, perhaps the the solution to uh, what ails her in her life. Well, we could we could say a little bit more about Nicodemus's reaction to failing in his exorcism efforts. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So he's he's this high status Pharisee. He wasn't able to do it, and he's got to give an explanation. So what does he say? He says uh, only God Himself could have thrown them out. Yeah. Okay, so that's the explanation he gives. And then he gets a few more questions from his his disciples. Um, and he says, demons root in wicked souls and they are beyond all human aid. And I thought that was such a great contrast to what the viewer is being shown about this tragic figure of Mary. Right, because what they see, they just see here's a woman in this terrible lifestyle. She right. must have chosen it. She must want it. She's this or that or whatever. And uh, that's actually, at least as the story goes, and I would say would most likely in, in real life, something that she did not, would have wanted to go into. Um, but yeah, she he just, he sees this. It's just, oh, demons just go into wicked souls. When Jesus came to reveal to us no, actually, you're all wicked. Mm -hmm. You're all sinful. Even you Pharisees. And he calls the Pharisees out as like the most <laughs> wicked in society. I mean, he turned everything upside down. And of course, the love that he showed for Mary is is, is really is really amazing. So yeah, Nicodemus has to face that. He's got to he's got to give an account. Um, so we are. Uh, let's let's go ahead and finish episode one. I just on, on okay. this. You know, let's okay. go ahead and finish episode one. We're about half an hour in, but yeah, that's all right. We can uh, we can do a longer show this time if that's if that's okay with you. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so let's take a break from Mary. Um, we're going to come back to her before the end of the episode, but let's take a break from her and let's talk about the predicament of Simon. Yes, Simon's in big financial trouble big uh what do you think about that oh the the way that the chosen introduces us to simon i mean the very first time we see simon in this series what is happening to him he's like he's like in a fighting ring 
<laughs> duking it out with some guy and through their offhanded uh, broken dialogue as they're taking swings at one another, um, you figure out it's his brother-in-law. <laughs> It's it's pretty it's pretty amazing that that's how we're introduced to Simon. But you know it's really not that far fetched. If you look at Scripture, Simon is wild. You know, I, I was actually listening to that Billy Joel song on the way over here this morning to record the show called uh, "I Don't Know Why I Go to Extremes." Uh, <laughs> I'm a huge Billy Joel fan, uh, but it does kind of uh, that song actually kind of makes me think of Simon, not just from the Chosen, but from Scripture itself you know he was he was really the the outspoken but he was wild like he just whatever he was in whatever he thought how dumb and idiotic it was it doesn't matter he was all in on it yeah you know and uh, and so it wouldn't surprise me i'm gonna make some money yeah let's go let's go uh you know um, i'm i'll go fight my brother-in-law for money or whatever and that's what was going on and uh so but what's cool about that scene is i actually so if you if you watch the scene there, there's a, a gentleman that's sitting on, sitting at the table. He's holding a, um, he's holding like a, this wooden notepad. It looks like, and he's the guy that's keeping tabs on all of the bets that are going on. Um, I had mentioned in the previous episode that I, or was it in this episode? I forget that I that I do acting on the side, and I was actually on set. I met that guy on set last week uh, on a, this commercial shoot that I was doing. His name is uh, Corey Soley. He lives in the uh, Dallas Fort Worth area. And so we, we got to talk. He was like, oh, yeah, I was in The Chosen. I'm like, well, you were The Chosen. He was like, yeah, look at episode one. We start, we start talking about it. And wh- one thing that I thought was, was really cool is that he, he got experience working with Dallas Jenkins there on the set. And he said Dallas is the real deal. Aww. Like the real deal. He said he is awesome. He's incredible to work with. Um, I don't. There's no reason why this guy would puff up Dallas uh, for no reason. I mean, I think... He, he was, Dallas actually chose him to have a more prominent part in that scene. He said, Dallas was like, hey, you go over there. And he's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, whatever you say. <laughs> you know. It. And it's funny, when you're an actor on, on set, you're already very uh, obedient to the director. If the right. director tells you something, you just do it, and you, um, unless there's some big moral qualm that you have. But hopefully you have worked that out with the director beforehand. Um, and he just said uh, Dallas was actually really, really great to, to work with. And I see that in the behind-the-scenes stuff that they that they show he really coaches the actors and telling them do this do that say this and just really helping them he helps them to really bring to life the the, the characters that that he's written and so i thought it was kind of cool to get some firsthand testimony of someone who has worked with dallas jenkins that said oh yeah he's he's the real deal and he's he's great to work with that's so awesome to hear so awesome to hear so concerning the what i call the fight club scene uh this is a cool spot in episode one because I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that this is the first time you get a glimpse into the little bits of comedic dialogue that are sprinkled throughout the whole series. So they don't overdo the the comic relief, but there are definitely these quick little moments throughout the entire series where you get a laugh out loud moment. And I think the first one comes in the fight scene where Simon lands a really good punch. And he steps back and he says, 
That's why they call me wine hands because of what I do to your liver. <laughs> it's so awesome. And, well, and then afterwards, Andrew goes, wine hands? And he's like, it, it sounded more clever in my head, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but that was that was a great moment. And that's one thing I love about this series is the amount of humor that is sprinkled throughout the series. And, and that even comes from, from the Jesus character himself. And we'll talk about that yeah, more. But yeah, Jesus yeah. is actually pretty funny. And I actually think it's not unrealistic for him to be funny as well. So, oh, you're just, you know, you're just trying to make him palpable for the 21st century and itching ears and all this stuff. And I, we won't respond to that right now. But there is a good response to that, I think, and I think it's very appropriate that yeah. uh, that yeah, yeah. even even Jesus is jokes and, and employs humor a lot. Okay, so to wrap up our comments on Simon before we turn to back to Mary, um, Simon's in financial trouble, and he's not catching any fish, so he's not making any money, and if he's not making any money, he can't take care of his wife, whose name is Eden. And he resorts to going on this covert fishing trip on Shabbat, which is against the law for a Jew, right? And he doesn't catch any fish. And so he develops this plan to spy on merchant fishermen boats for Quintus, the Roman official, um, as a way to... Uh, make some illicit money that's how desperate he's become to be able to to take care of himself and his wife yeah it's it's really a take and i understand the reason why they wanted to create this backstory and it's if you remember when jesus first called uh peter and or simon and he does the miracle of of loading the boat up with all the loading the nets with all this fish and and Peter falls to the ground and he says, apart from me, for I'm a sinful man. You get this amazing backstory as to why Simon did that, right? And, and that's what yeah. this is. Not only was he fishing on Shabbat, but he formed an alliance with the praetor of Judea, the Roman praetor of Judea, to spy on fellow Jewish mer merchant fishermen and turn them in. Now, why is that significant? Why does that help Quintus out? And it's because they don't report any fish that are caught on Shabbat. And so the Romans don't get the taxes from the fish that are caught from Shabbat. So essentially Quintus is looking at this going, if Simon spies on them for me, I can end up making more money. And he ends up, what, he ends up actually forgiving all of Simon and Andrew's debts. I mean, they're about to go under, like yeah. way under. And, uh, and so Simon hatches this plan with the Romans. Andrew is furious about it. He's absolutely furious about it. But that was, that, that was how he was going to get them out of financial trouble. What's interesting, it was, it was totally, he's a total traitor on his, on his own people. But as we'll see, as Simon and Matthew meet, uh, Simon doesn't um, really have much compassion, even though really Simon did the same thing, right. if not worse, right, right. And, than and, what Matthew did. Can we just say also, and there has not been an episode about this yet. This is probably far, far down the line. But can we just say that when we see Simon turning traitor in a moment of utter fear and desperation for himself, right? It's a foreshadowing 
because there's going to come another day. That's right. When he turns traitor out of fear and desperation. Yeah. Wow. Well, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, but that is that is very true. I mean, that's going to be uh, Simon's imperfection is going to be on display throughout the series, even up till even up till the very end. So that that is that's incredible. So, um, so is that enough about Simon? Do you want to return yeah, to Mary here? Yeah, and, let, and wrap up yeah. Here? Let's return to Mary and, and and wrap things up. But I love who plays Simon. I love who plays Andrew. The casting so far has been has been spot on. Uh, and I look forward to seeing those characters develop more and more. I think in episode two, we begin to see more of the lighter side of Simon in some ways, maybe happier. And But it's it's really been great so far. I love those characters. One unfortunate omission we made when we introduced the character of Mary Magdalene is we did not mention that when we see her in adulthood in this episode, she's not going by the name Mary. Uh, yeah. Remember, she's going. Her name is. Uh, she's known as Lilith, but I think most of the the characters who know her personally call her Lily for short. So, we flash back in the episode uh, to this hopeless, hopeless Lily, and she it it shows her considering suicide at one point as a way to escape the agony of the demonic possession um and i don't quite remember do you remember what is it she sees in that moment that dissuades her from jumping well she sees this it's this a sparrow or or a dove or she sees a bird okay she sees this bird and this bird just kind of shows up and flutters around her and then it just flies off, and she has this inclination to follow the bird. The bird, okay. And she follows the bird to this tavern where actually uh, Peter and Andrew just were. Andrew actually is coming out of the tavern, upset because he just found out what what Peter had done, and he actually just bumps into Mary, you know, on the way as as Andrew is is leaving. Right. right and, right. and then Mary goes into the she, tavern. She goes into the tavern. And she sits down, and you can tell she's been friends with the tavern keeper for a long, long time. He, he knows her well, and he knows her oppression very, very well. And he, he says something to the effect of, there's nothing else I can do to help you. And she points to a carafe of some kind of alcohol and says something like, give me that. And he tries to discourage her. It's like, oh, that's not going to solve your problems. And she's like, I don't care. That's what I want. And so he pours her a cup of whatever alcohol this is. Um, and she reaches down to put her hands around the cup. And then a hand comes down on hers. And the camera turns and it's boom. You get your first visual of the face of Jesus. And he says nothing at first. It's just this powerful, very powerful of a, an utterly compassionate expression on his face. Perfect expression. And I she mean, and she runs away. Yeah. Well, and he puts his hand down, and he said, "That's." He says, "That's not for you." Yeah. She kind of thinks for a second, and then she pulls her hands away. And she, I think she maybe says, leave me alone, and she runs out. Yeah, you sort of get a little inkling of that uh, demonic-sounding voice in that moment. Did you notice that? You know, I, I didn't, but that wouldn't. I'd have to go back and listen, yeah, but that wouldn't surprise me. I don't me. think I was imagining that. Uh, you sort of hear her, her voice sounding not quite like herself 
when she says, leave me alone, and she, she runs out of the tavern. Um, now we have to reiterate here um, that she's going by the name Lily, right? No one knows her real name where she is. Right. So she runs out of the tavern um, and she's, she's going to just keep running. And he calls out to her and he says, Mary, Mary of Magdala. And she stops dead in her tracks because nobody knows her real name. And she turns around and she says, who are you? How do you know my name? And then what happens? Well, pretty powerful moment is what happens next. He begins to recite the prayer, right? Yep. He begins to recite the prayer that her father taught her and that she had been reciting as a way to, to try to get rid of these, these seven demons that have been tormenting her. Right. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine, which just reemphasizes the significance of him calling her by her real name. And it's such a beautiful. It is. I, I call it one of my wrecked moments. You guys, <laughs> you guys are going to hear me say that over and over and over again as we're podcasting through this episode because that is one of the moments that just utterly wrecked me, um, and I wept. Um, and she, and Mary, she just collapses against his chest. Her, she's got her head bowed, and she's weeping with an indescribable relief for her deliverance. Like, he has redeemed her literally, from the clutches of demonic possession. Yeah, now I would love to get your take. What do you think about how that scene was portrayed? Him, Jesus, exercising the demons out of her, which was really just his, her head is in his chest. Well, he puts his hands his, he on puts either his hands side of her head. On either side of her head, yeah. and he just, he just prays and does his thing. And the demons leave her in a very non-fantastical type of way. You know, if I if I was going to to do a film with that a scene of Jesus exercising the demons from Mary, I probably would have spruced it up a bit more, made it a bit more wild. But th- I I love their take on how they did it. It was just almost like it was so gentle, it was so easy because it is. I mean, for God to extract demons from people, it's pretty easy, and that's how they that's how they did it. I don't know. I, what did you think about that? Like it was just very much, he just hugged her and the demons were gone. I think that it was incredibly fitting for an exorcism done at the hand of God himself. Yeah. There would have been no struggle, no power struggle, right? Right. I mean, I think it was, uh, the subtlety of it lent it great perfection in my opinion um and i appreciated the lack of hollywood sensationalism if you will yeah it it reminds me of a a scene that happened in episode i believe it was episode four or may have been five where uh, a demon i won't go into too much detail but a, a demon is attacking somebody and and jesus comes up he runs up and he literally just takes his left hand and he just 
waves the demon. To the de- <laughs> I mean, he's, he just, it, like he was batting away a, a, an annoying fly. Literally, just like a fly. And he's like, uh, come out of him. Yeah. And and that was it. And the demon leaves and Jesus comes up and he's over him. And, and it's, it's like, when you're the son of God, it really is just that easy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there's no, there isn't this big power. There's no power struggle. Like one is omniscient and one is, and one is not. So, all right, well, how do we want to wrap up our, our discussion of, of episode one? Any, any final thoughts? It was obviously an incredibly powerful way to, to start the show off. Obviously, we're introduced to Mary, Nicodemus, Matthew, Simon, Andrew. We're introduced to, a, and of course, Jesus. Uh, at the end, there we're introduced to a lot of what a lot of key players, so and, and amazing backstories being developed. So, what are your kind of parting thoughts on episode one? I think it perfectly sets the tone for the rest of the series thus far. You get a great feel for the artistry, uh, the I think the music and the lighting and the sets and the acting and the costumes. Uh, the the story t- everything is so wonderful and it sets the tone for what's in store for you and it just keeps getting better with each successive episode um and one thing that i appreciate one artistic decision that surprised me with this first episode and sort of surprised me in subsequent episodes that I thought was a great creative decision that I would never have thought of. And it was the decision to not let you see Jesus until very late in the episode. Right? It, it, it was. Like you think, oh, yeah. this is a story about the life of Jesus. And it keeps going and they're telling all this great story. And you still haven't seen Jesus. And they tell some more great story. Right. And you still <laughs> You're like, where is he? Jesus. And then... <laughs> Boom, he's there, and it's so powerful. And that's this is not the only episode in which they use that tactic, and I think it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. No, I think we're going to get into the next podcast. We'll, we'll be getting in into that as well. But it was. It really built up that kind of anticipation. And from what I've heard Dallas say about the show is that really his focus is, of course, on Jesus, but it's a lot, if not more so, on the Chosen. Not the, not the Messiah, but the chosen themselves and the disciples who then become apostles. And that's really as much of a focus, if not more of a focus, than the character of Jesus. So which is why you get all these backstories. And also, um, I actually got to visit the set. You mentioned the set of the chosen. I got to visit the set of the chosen. And so maybe on the next episode, I can talk a little bit about that because I got to do a little work there. And so it's kind of interesting what you see in real life versus what you see in, in person are two very, are two very different things. So, uh, all right, guys. Well, thank you, Dr. Travis, for your great thoughts on The Chosen. Uh, so far, this has been fantastic. So, and we will uh, we'll sign off for now. Make sure to visit us online, cgmradio.com slash FRC. And remember, you can email us your questions, comments, anything you would like, frc at cgmradio.com. God bless. We'll see you next time.